Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, it's the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. Let's talk freight. All right, Midnight Freight Broker Nation, welcome back for episode 37 of the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Coming at you from Orchard Park today, where it's a bright and sunny 77 degrees, something that we haven't seen a whole lot of lately. I think the weather has finally turned for the majority of the Northeast, and anyone that had seen that snow or experienced the cold weather the last couple of weeks and months, you're probably feeling the same level of ease and comfort right now that I am. So unfortunately, given the current times and the pandemic with coronavirus and all the COVID-19 restrictions that we're, we're feeling, it's tough to get out there and do a whole lot. But we're, we're seeing a lot of states, actually all 50 states now have begun reopening on some level. So that's great. So I'm going to get into an article today very briefly just on the update on the truckers that went to DC. And then I'm going to do part one of a two-part series on hiring employees. I've gotten a lot of requests from people to talk about hiring employees, W-2, 1099. Today, I'm going to talk specifically on the W-2 side, and next week, I'll probably focus more on the 1099, whether it's sub-agent or something along those lines. Maybe it's your first agent, um, things like that. So let's get right into it. So hey, if this is your first time listening, or if it's your 37th or 100th time listening, whatever it is, make sure that you're subscribed so you're getting this content as soon as it drops Friday morning right at midnight. If you haven't done it yet, please leave me that review. Reviews are what help me get ranked higher up there on iTunes and other podcast sites. Last I checked, I know I'm in the top five when it comes to freight-specific podcasts, but the better we can do with uh, with reviews and, and referrals and you know subscribers and all that stuff, it's going to help out overall. So let's get right into it as far as the the current state of the nation when it comes to trucking, the the drivers that went to D.C., the meeting that they had, and also just in general to start off, like I said before, 50 states now, so that's every state in the United States, has began some sort of reopening plan. So what does that mean? So for example, in New York State, we hit phase one this Tuesday, Tuesday of this week. So phase one allows a lot of different businesses to reopen, such as manufacturing and um, construction, things like that. So when you start to see a lot of the, those entities reopening, that means more jobs, more freight to be moved. Rates are going to go back in the right direction for carriers. It's just a good thing overall, right? We're, we're on, the, on the right path to getting ourselves either back to normal or to our new normal, whichever it's going to be. Nobody really knows yet. So that being said, a quick little example. I know that at least here in New York, they did have essential construction being allowed prior to entering the reopening phase one, but now all other construction has been um, restarted as well. So literally Tuesday morning, I went for a morning run around the village of Orchard Park. It's my hometown here. And what did I see? I saw DOT workers out there getting all kinds of stuff done. They're repainting lines. They're doing all kinds of stuff on the street, surveying, stuff like that. It's great to see people back out there working. Obviously, there's precautions in place to make sure everybody can be safe. They're socially distancing. People are wearing masks, proper PPE. It's all good stuff. But let's get into what happened in D.C., so obviously there was all kinds of talk of the protests and, and drivers wanting to go to D.C. and have a meeting. 
So I found a good article from CDL Life that was published yesterday that talks about the meeting that happened and kind of what came out of it. I'm going to read some some bits and pieces of it and give my feedback before we get into the hiring piece here. So this this comes, I'm going to quote it directly from CDLLife.com, and the article is titled, Truckers Finally Got That White House Meeting, Here's What Happened. So uh, first of all, President Trump was not present at the meeting. So uh, obviously, he's a very, very busy individual. There's a lot of stuff that he's focused on right now, specifically with the pandemic. So I'm not surprised that he was not there, but I'm sure that he had the proper representatives there to make sure that whatever voices and opinions were to be given by the trucking community, they'd get relayed back to him. So the article says, following the hour-long meeting, the two individuals that were present there representing the truckers recap what happened for the jovial group of truckers outside the White House. Okay, so the two representatives that were there speaking on behalf of the truckers were Mike Landis and Sergey C.J. Carmen. All right, that's who was at the White House meeting. So the quote says, we broke it down for them, transparency and what it's about. What exactly we want, how do we see it, Carmen said. Landis said, it was a hell of an experience, I'll say that. I'm honored that me and CJ got to go and represent you guys and the other 89.7% of this industry that they acknowledged in there, they understand now is not represented by ATA, the American Trucking Associations, which is why they allowed us to come in here. One of the most interesting developments reported by Carmen and Landis after the meeting was was that the Department of Justice has opened an investigation into trucker claims of price gouging and antitrust violations by brokers. This confirms Tuesday reporting from Patch.com that Attorney General William Barr had ordered New Jersey U.S. Attorney Craig Caponito, uh, Carponito, and I apologize if I just butchered his name, to open an investigation into freight broker price gouging accusations. All right, and there's more to go, but I, I want to give my feedback real quick. So did anybody think that there was going to be an immediate you know, regulation put in place on brokers? No, absolutely not. First of all, Trump wasn't even there, didn't expect that, but they've launched an investigation. Now, let's be serious here. Investigations are launched all the time. What are they going to find? I really don't think they're going to find that there's a legitimate price gouging issue or claim to be made on all of this. Sure, there are some crappy people that will you know, take advantage of carriers or shippers at, you know, any given time. And this happens in any industry. There's always going to be some dirt that slips through the cracks. Okay. I'm going to continue on here. Carmen and Landis also reported that the White House asked them to provide three ideas on how to solve broker transparency problems as the next step forward in the process. All right. Now let's take a pause here. So I like this. Three ideas on how to solve broker transparency problems. All right. That's what the White House is asking them to provide. And I love this for this reason. So in the past, when I served as a commander in the U.S. Army, if a soldier ever came to me bitching about an issue or had a big problem, I always told them, if you're going to come to me with a problem, come to me with some possible solutions. Don't just come to bitch. And if somebody just wants to come and, and have me be a verbal punching bag, you know, there might be a time and place for that. But when you have a very busy job, which the White House definitely has right now, you got to also come with solutions. So you're not just complaining or, or bitching about something. You actually come and have a constructive conversation about here's the issue, here are the problems we're having, and here are some solutions that we can put in place to help prevent this. So I'm interested to see how this will pan out and what these gentlemen and who they're representing will come up with as far as the three possible ideas. The article, the article continues on. Landis ended the gathering by remarking that, quote, for us, this is a pretty good step in the right direction. We're not going to call victory, but they understand that we have no representation except ourselves. They understand the issue and they understand that we as Americans want this fixed as Americans for Americans. 
the president is on our side and he wants us to succeed and he doesn't want us to be overrun, end quote. So it's a fairly brief article. Check out the show notes. The link is in there. You can read the whole thing and see some pictures of them. They had a nice little uh, photo op there with the trucks in the background, a nice U.S. flag there. Uh, And there's also a video as well that, that shows them going around and some other social media posts attached to the article. But overall, I guess the big win is they had their voice heard. And I know that a lot of times the trucking community has felt that they're not heard, they're not understood, and they're not acknowledged by maybe a higher entity like the U.S. government. Did anything really good come out of it other than they're going to launch an investigation and, you know, God knows what they're going to find there, if anything at all. And it could actually expose some other things that might be harmful to them. Who knows? Uh, but also they did put it back in the truckers hands and say, balls in your court, come up with three solutions on what we can do to move forward here. So good read, you know, take it for what it's worth. It, I, I'm, I am glad to see that there was a meeting that took place and, you know, we'll see what does come out of it. I don't think anything anytime soon, you know, we're, we're definitely, we have a president that's a fan of capitalism and, free market and all that good stuff when it comes to, you know, being part of a free country. So legislation that restricts people or regulations, it just takes rights away and it it can hurt everybody in the long run. So I'd like to see less interference from the government, less regulation. And I'd just like to see the, you know, the relationship between brokers and carriers altogether just get better and not because a third party has to step in. All right, let's get the big voices in the community from the brokerages and from the carriers. How about we sit down like adults and discuss this? Maybe do some sort of a town hall event, open, you know, open forum, you know, round table type of meeting. That would be great because then you have a professional setting. You don't have a third party that has to come in and, and mediate it all. I don't know. That's my thought. So interesting article. Check it out. All right, so next big topic here is going to be part one on hiring employees. So I've been doing this for about six years now when it comes to developing freight brokers, recruiting, hiring, um, developing an agent program, things like that. Uh, So I've seen a lot of this and I've gotten a ton of questions, right? People always ask, Nate, I think I'm ready to hire somebody. How do I do that? Or sometimes you even get the person that they're very, very, I don't want to use the word stubborn exclusively, but sometimes they're a little bit nervous or afraid to let somebody else in on their business, right? Uh, They trust themselves, but can they necessarily trust somebody else to come in? And is it worth the money to do so when they then have to manage all that? So anyway, good stuff. Um, I recently have left the company that I was with before, and I'm transitioning into a new role that is very very, very focused in this realm. But in the meantime, I've been taking some time to spend with my newborn son, Jackson, and I still am getting hit up on LinkedIn left and right by people asking questions about hiring, referrals, you know, what do I do when I want to fill this role, stuff like that. So it's definitely a conversation that needs to be had. And I've touched on it in the past, but I definitely want to hit on it specifically and exclusively today. So the three things I'm going to hit about today, hit on today in part one are going to be the roles you can hire for, the kind of pay you can expect with those roles and sources that you can use to find these employees. And again, I'm going to try to stick with the W-2 model today. We could talk more on 1099 in next week's episode, but um, let's get right into it. So the biggest roles that you'll probably see are sales or operations. And, you know, every now and then you'll maybe want to hire someone that's more of like administrative or office work. That's not necessarily dispatching or selling your loads or soliciting customers, but they're more managing your overall operation. And depending on how you're set up, whether you're licensed, 
lease or you're an agent or whatever the case might be and how large you are and how established you are, you might want to hire different amounts of these at a time. So a sales role. Okay. A lot of people tend to try and hop on this immediately because they say, hey, if I can get a guy or girl in here and have them pounding the phones, hammering out sales calls, it's just going to be you know free new business for me. And if I just pay them a commission that's less than what I'm making, it's, it's free money. It's just going to roll in. I'm going to build an empire. Well, it's not always that easy. And I always say, don't put the cart before the horse. All right. Um, sales, you could see somebody that's literally just making prospecting calls on new customers, and maybe you close them yourself. You might have somebody that's going to take over the day-to-day sales relationship, maybe an account manager with your existing customers. That can be a little bit dangerous depending on the kind of relationship you have with the customer or with that individual that you hire. Um, And another one could be, hey, I'm going to bring you in and give you the chance to build your own book of business, right? They're going to prospect their own customers, they're going to close their own customers, and they're going to handle the administrative tasks of managing those accounts day-to-day. All right. Um, Operations. Uh, The easiest example of an operations person is a dispatcher. Okay, so if you are really, really good at closing your customers, getting loads from them on a day to day basis, quoting out. um, But then that load comes over and maybe you're bogged down with, you know, answering calls from the the load boards that are coming in or from your your regular carriers or um, dispatch calls or check calls, whatever the case might be. An operations person like dispatch would be a great add to your team if you you don't have the capacity and time in your day to keep selling, you can fill in, or I guess you could give yourself additional time by filling that role with a different body. Of course, you have to train them up and make sure they're doing things your way because it's got to still be that golden standard that you've already set in place. But an operations person is great. Now, depending on the size of your operation, it could be an operations team. So you might have an ops manager with, with a bunch of folks that they have underneath them. So maybe you have a nighttime dispatch or a daytime dispatch. I even know folks that they have a requirement for their operations employees to respond to customer inquiries within two minutes. That could be a phone call or an email, text, whatever it is. So maybe that person is there to give that 24-7 support or whatever hours of operation you have. They're, to, they're there to make sure that that phone does not ring for too long or that that text message does not get ignored, or that email does not just sit there and get cluttered up in your inbox. These are great roles to add in there. But again, you got to make sure that you have the amount of business there that it's worth it. All right. Again, and the last one I mentioned is office. So if you have a large operation uh, or a very specialized operation, maybe there's a lot of paperwork involved, you might need scale tickets or uh, pictures taken, whatever it might be, an ops, or I'm sorry, an office person is a great way to manage the administrative portions that go along with that. It also might be to gather all your paperwork together. So maybe you're running a small brokerage or you're an agent at a place that requires you to submit paperwork yourself. They can gather all that information together, make sure it's all squared away. It's good to go. There's nothing missing. And then they can fire that stuff off or at least be an extra set of eyes to oversee that. Now, I mentioned sales operations and office management or administrative tasks, right? There are a lot more jobs that you can hire for. I mean, let's think about it. If you're a large brokerage with hundreds of people, you could be hiring someone that's sipping through your mail or someone that's sending you know, checks out or running payroll. We're not going to get into that today. This is more focused on the small to mid-sized broker that's looking to really take that next step, okay? I've talked about carrier sales groups or in-house dispatch teams that agent-based companies sometimes will offer that can help bridge the gap, but eventually you get to a point where it's it's worth your money to pay somebody to do this job. So let's say for, here's an easy equation, right? Are you going to make more money by hiring them 
due to added business on your end than it will cost you to pay them for their job. Simple equation. So let's say the average person you're going to hire costs $40,000 a year. That's just a ballpark number. It's probably pretty realistic if you look at it, but you better be making at least $40,000 to break even before it's worth having that person on there. Now, you know, it's not going to always happen overnight. It might be a two, three month plan for you. You got to kind of lay this stuff out. Maybe you start with a part timer. You got to figure that out all on your own. There's, you know, no business is the same. They could be very similar and have a lot of overlapping qualities. But at the end of the day, every business model and everyone's book of business and, and their preference and how they operate is different. So treat yours, however, is, you know, relevant to you and, and best applied. Now, when it comes to pay, uh, there's, you know, hourly, you could do a salary, commission, you could do a mix of all of those. Um, I'm going to give you an example of a couple of ways that I've seen people paid. So let's talk sales first. An easy way to do it um, is to do base pay and have a commission opportunity in there. Okay, that could be, I'm going to pay you 500 bucks a week. And that could even be on a draw if you want depending on what their job is and what they're doing. All right, 500 bucks a week, and then I'm gonna pay you, you know, 10 to 20% of, you know, commission on all gross profits on the loads once the customer pays or, you know, once we invoice, whatever the case might be. So if it's a draw, you can typically pay a higher commission percentage because once their commission gets built up, they don't really need that salary or that base pay anymore, okay? Um, Vice versa, if you wanna keep them on a straight 35 to 40K, annual salary with commission, you'll typically find people are paying more like 5 to 10% um, because they're going to get the salary as well as the commission forever, okay? Um, straight commission, it's a little scary, uh, but that being said, it's very low risk for you, but there's typically high turnover because you, you feel low risk and you're more apt to hire somebody quickly and take the chance on them. But let's say that one out of five or one out of 10 actually make it. You just spent all that time trying to train somebody up that you really don't know if they're going to make it or not. So I typically find that um, commission, definitely you need to have that in a sales role, but you can always put in there some sort of hourly rate or um, you know a salary in there as well. So maybe if you want to do somebody part-time, you could say, I'm going to pay you, you know, let's, we'll start you at 20 hours a week and, you know, pay you, I don't know, 15 bucks an hour or something like that, 20 bucks an hour. And, you know, once you start getting freight, I'm going to start paying you commission on top of that. You can decide if you want to do a draw in there or just have it be a guaranteed commission from day one. Um, But then when you're ready for a full-timer, which maybe you're ready for a full-timer right on day one when you're ready to do this, you know, find a good salary. We've talked about average pay in the past. I think about 40,000, 35 to 40K annual base salary is industry standard. Now, always consider cost of living increases every single year, um, you know, commission bonuses and, you know, other competitions you could do to, to always keep that pay going up and incentivize these folks to stay with you. Um, okay, so hourly, salary, commission, those are kind of the three. Now, let me give you an example of what I saw somebody do that's kind of different. All right, they went, I'm more of like a, um, a spiff type of model where it was, you know, for each X you do, I will pay you Y. So an operations person, because that was sales before, so let's talk operations. I have seen, um, I'm going to pay you $20 for every load that you get covered at X margin, right? Or, hey, your overall goal is to stay at this margin percentage or do this much in gross profit. But if you're meeting your goals, I'm going to pay you $20 per load that you cover. And let's say they, they're covering 10 loads a day, depending on the size of your business. That's 200 bucks for them, right? That's $1,000 per week, $52,000 per year. 
pretty good money for an operations person. I've seen ops people that are so good with carrier relationships that they're on a straight salary and they can also get a bonus on top of that. And these, these folks are making 60, 70, $80,000 a year. Um, you know, and, and the average with, with uh, the hot shots there, there's going to be some folks that make more and obviously some that make less. But obviously operations is not adding as much value revenue wise that a salesperson can potentially. So that salary and compensation package overall should always reflect the amount of value that they're bringing to the table. Um, an office person, straight up, probably just a base pay, right? Maybe maybe you just need a part-timer, pay them 15, 20 bucks an hour, whatever's appropriate in your area for the skill level needed. Um, that's up to you to decide. Okay, so hourly salary commission, sales, operations, office people, uh, there's all kinds of ways to get creative on it. Now, more importantly, how do you find these people and how do you sort through them? What kind of costs can you expect just in the hiring and onboarding process? I've always heard in the past as I grew up, whether it was my first couple of jobs from you know feedback from management or in college and business school or in my professional work in operations in the logistics field or sales world, um, I've heard that hiring is such an expensive cost that it can take up to six months for somebody to actually be worth their salary on average. So if you have turnover in that first six months, you just lost money. So be very smart in how you do this. There are a bunch of sources, and I'm going to talk through four of them here today. They are Indeed, Jobs and Logistics, ZipRecruiter, and LinkedIn, okay? These are all great sources, and I know there's a lot more that you can use, private recruiters, all kinds of other stuff. I just want to hit on these four common ones right here that are very specific in in some instances to this industry and how much they might cost and how you can use them. So, Indeed, number one job recruiting and job posting site in the U.S., to my knowledge, as of today, this is late May 2020, okay? And they know they are, and they charge like they know that they are. So how does Indeed work? Um, if you've ever applied for a job on Indeed or posted your resume, you know how the Apple, the applicant side works. Now, the hiring side, you'll have an account, and there's a couple different tools that you can use. The two common ones are going to be the resume search And the other one is the job posting, okay? Resume search, you're typically going to pay for a number of resumes that you can see and contact that candidate for a specific job opportunity that that you have, okay? Um, It's very much on you to create the job posting. Um, You have to search through the resumes to find the candidates. You have to contact them. You have to follow up with them. That is that's how the the uh, resume search works. It's a great tool, though, because you can get very, very specific in work history, experience, college degrees, um, you know, pay requirements. There's all kinds of stuff. And the keyword searching is really, really good in there. So you can look for someone that has brokerage in their background, or maybe you want someone that's fresh that you want to train so you don't have to undo some of their old bad habits. So maybe you want to find someone that has a sales background, maybe some transportation sprinkled in there, but they've never actually brokered before because you want to mold them yourself. Okay. So you can do that with resume search. Job posting is, it's a little bit tricky. So what they do is, you know, you can create a job post that's, you know, maybe you want to call it a, you know, overnight dispatcher or a, you know, call center, whatever, or, you know, freight sales specialist or logistics account manager, right? There's all kinds of titles you can use for the various jobs that you might want to hire for. And what's nice is what Indeed will do is it will highlight that to certain candidates that are looking for jobs that match 
you know, your job availability versus what they're looking for as their next job. And it will notify them. It'll show up on, on the search when they type in a certain job. Um, now, the way that it works as far as how your job gets ranked in the searching is all on a cost per click basis. Now, if you were to ask Indeed, how does cost per click work? Or even just ask me, there is no simple answer on how cost per click works with Indeed. Um, the more you spend with them, the higher ranked you're going to be. That's really what it comes down to. So, for example, I've seen companies that will spend $20,000 a month to promote their jobs, to get a lot of people out there to apply to them. You probably don't want to spend that much when you're hiring your first person. You could spend maybe $500 a month or you know $1,000 a month and just run that for maybe a month or two until you get a candidate and then take it down. Maybe you want to throw it back up when you want to hire somebody else. You can do it however you want. Now, basically with cost per click, they have some kind of algorithm and formula that will tell you, hey, it, it costs you a dollar you know, per person that clicked on your job. Um, what does that really mean? They basically, if you have a certain budget, say $500 a month, they're going to use all $500 and they're going to move your job up the search as much as they can, as, up, up the search results as much as they can until somebody else who's spending more money than you has gotten to their point where they spent more and they're going to rank higher. So basically, if you spend $1,000 a month and someone spends $5,000 a month, the person that spends 5K gets a lot more results and better ratings and a higher search result type of the thing in there with their algorithm. It's super confusing. They have analytics on the, on the site, um, but it's really cool if you have a specific job you want to hire for. It does ask you for a city and state to post in, um, but you can do a state or I'm sorry, a nationwide posting as well. So let's say you want to hire somebody remotely in a sales role, which is probably more on the 1099 side, and I'll talk about that next week. You can do like a USA or something like that, and it'll show up on anyone's search. Um, so that's indeed, it's definitely my favorite one to use when it comes to a job board because they have so many users on there. Next one, jobs and logistics. All right, naturally, based on the sound of the title, it's a logistics-specific job board, Jobs in Logistics, jobsandlogistics.com. All right, now with Jobs and Logistics, they also have resume search as well as job posting. And their packages vary based on the number of jobs you want to have. Um, resume search, I think it's somewhere between like $1,500 and $2,000 a year. Uh, but basically, you have unlimited access to resumes. What's nice and different than Indeed, and I didn't mention this on Indeed, is that Jobs and Logistics, when you check out a resume, you have the, that person's contact information, phone number, email, everything. Whereas Indeed, you have to message that candidate first, and if they reply that they're interested, then you will get access to their phone number and email address. So Jobs and Logistics, you basically get access to the full resume, and you can sift through them. They don't have as many users on there. It's obviously very specific to logistics, so if you want to find a sales guy that's, that's new to brokerage and hire them, they're probably not looking on Jobs and Logistics for a job. Um, just something to think about. Now, job posting... Similar to Indeed, um, with the exception that they don't have a cost per click model, you have a, a set amount, and they just rank your search results based on the best uh, match of your job posting to whatever the person that's searching is actually typing into the search part there. So um, also, just like Indeed, it has a separate employer and employee type of login. So if you're job searching versus um, employee searching, you have different functionality and features. 
Okay, jobsandlogistics.com, check it out. Um, third one, ZipRecruiter, another job board. Like Indeed, it is very uh, broad when it comes to the industries that you're going to have access to. I'd say they're probably number two behind Indeed when it comes to national job boards in the United States. Now, ZipRecruiter, I am a big fan of their resume search, not so much on job posting, at least as of yet. Um, I've tried it out twice in the past, once about three years ago, and again last year, Um it just, you know, I, I didn't get a whole, I don't know that I ever made one good hire off a of jobs, or I'm sorry, off a of ZipRecruiter from a job post. Now, the resume search, absolutely, because just like jobs and logistics, when you search a resume and you get a number of, you have to buy a number of credits, let's let's say like 50 bucks gets you 50 credits, and you have to use a credit to view somebody's contact information and view their entire resume. You'll be able to see bits and pieces of it. Um, problem is, ZipRecruiter does not necessarily tell you um, if somebody's resume has been updated recently, you can add that in the search criteria. Uh, but if you're trying to cast a wide net, you might say, oh, I want to find someone that is a, um, you know, trucking account manager or logistics account executive or, um, you know, dispatcher, trucking dispatcher, something like that. Well, you might get a great result and then you use a credit to open up that resume and you find out, oh, well, yeah, it says they've been there for two years, but they actually just haven't updated the resume and they were only there for a month. So you don't necessarily know. You can change the search criteria in there and say they have to have updated it in the last week or last month, something like that, which does help out. Um, their bang for the buck is a lot better than Indeed. So definitely check out ZipRecruiter. And um, you know, like I said, resume search is great. Uh, job posting, I'm not a huge fan, at least yet. I don't think they're up to snuff with Indeed. They're not on the same, you know, they're not playing in the major leagues is, is what I would say when it comes to that. So, you know, maybe they're double A AA or triple A. Okay. Last source I'm going to hit on today is LinkedIn. LinkedIn is really, really good for networking overall and they're hiring. They've put a big, big push on it lately. So they cost a lot of money, but you get really good results because it is specifically a professional networking site. LinkedIn, you don't have to necessarily spend money to post a job. You can just simply just have an account and contact somebody. Maybe you want to go find somebody that works at a competitor that, oh, they just left and you want to hit them up, right? That's a great way to connect. You can send them a message. Um, you're not going to get necessarily a, a direct email address or phone number for them unless they post it publicly on their profile, but you can still message them through LinkedIn. And if they haven't changed their settings, it'll go to their email address that they use to log in with. So LinkedIn is really great for, you know, sharing content, commenting on stuff, staying up to, you know, up to speed on the industry news, but definitely messaging people that you are interested in hiring. I can't tell you how many people have contacted me looking to take on a new job because I was, a, you know, had my job listed as a recruiter or whatever the case might be. And also, soliciting me to work for other companies because they see the amount of content that I'm producing and the amount of activity I have in there. It's really a good, it's LinkedIn is essentially like a, uh, just a big speed dating site. If you want to look at it that way. So definitely check out LinkedIn and, um, you know, use it to your best abilities, connect with people. Hey, if somebody's not interested in a job right now, you can always check back in later. And one of the nice things too is if you have the recruiter account on LinkedIn, you can actually find out and search by if somebody has selected on their profile that they are interested in new job opportunities and being contacted from recruiters. So definitely cool. Um, their, their premium LinkedIn account is probably the best bang for the buck. Recruiter is very expensive and it includes a CRM and you know all kinds of other add-ons that I never found a good use in, but Definitely the premium because it'll allow you to see beyond your own network 
another, I think it's three, uh, extends out by three. So maybe it's a connection of a connection of a connection. So um, indeed, jobs and logistics, ZipRecruiter, LinkedIn. All right. So again, this is part one. We talked about sales, hiring for sales roles, operations, dispatch, office management, how much are you going to pay that person, sources that you can use. Definitely check out all those sources. They're very, very good. Now, if you have a specific situation or question on what to do when hiring somebody, send me a message on LinkedIn. My profile is listed right in the show notes. I'm happy to chat with you. Have a quick conversation. You can email me. You can message me on LinkedIn. You can call my cell phone, whatever's best for you. I love helping people out. This is my passion and it has been for many, many years now and it's not going to stop. So definitely reach out to me. Um, I'm not going to be doing any social media or trending today because everyone is just bitching about each other. So we're going to skip that. So again, just to recap here, the article the truckers, they got their meeting. Trump was not there. Also, they were given the request to come up with three solutions as far as next steps to better the situation. But the good news is they had their voice heard, and that's always a good moral victory right there. All right, and again, on hiring part one here, we went over W-2. So again, if you've got questions or a specific situation, send me a message. And next week, we are going to talk about Part two, which is going to be 1099. Maybe you want to hire an agent or just a contracted sales rep, all right? 1099 is a lot different than W-2. There's a lot of responsibilities that you have. And we might even do a part three, depending on what kind of feedback I get and what people are looking to find out. So I got nothing new on sports other than NASCAR started up. And there's some cool golf stuff that we saw last weekend and coming up this weekend too. So check that out. Um, but still no baseball, no, uh, no word on the NFL. And um, yeah, that's about it. So until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to the articles that I discussed today. Make sure to subscribe and leave me that review with five stars. Message me for any comments that you've got, any suggestions as well, and any questions that you've got that you want me to answer on the show. Make sure to check out the link in the show notes for my LinkedIn page, and I will see you on the next episode.